Hello, welcome to the Brazilian Health Nut Show. Here you will find cutting-edge information provided by the best experts in the world so you can learn how to burn fat for the rest of your life. Bruno de Gama is the Brazilian Health Nut in a mission to solve the problems you have when trying to lose weight forever. He is a nutritional therapy practitioner, a certified personal trainer, and a holistic lifestyle coach by the Czech Institute. Don't forget to say hello and sign up to our free newsletter at www.brazilianhealthnet.com. Let's go. All right. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Thomas. Super appreciate your time. Can you tell a little bit about your story, your background, and how did you create the, the movie Fathead? I actually created uh, Fathead because I wanted to produce a sample TV show of an idea I had for something called In Defense of Common Sense, which was going to be a average, middle-of-the-road, but funny guy looks at issues of the day. And I thought I would shoot the pilot episode about how we treat fat people in American society. As I started researching that, I ended up watching Supersize Me, which uh, annoyed me in a lot of ways. It was an amusing film, but it annoyed me in a lot of ways. So I started thinking more in terms of coming up with something to show what I thought was wrong with Supersize Me. And then as I kept doing research into diet, I thought, wow, a whole lot of this film needs to be about what's wrong with the current dietary advice, which I didn't really know going in. So it kept kind of uh, changing as I worked on it. Mm -hmm. So what was your experimentation, actually, for people who haven't watched the documentary yet? What did you do during this? I think it was like around 28 to 30 days, right? Yeah, I intended to do a month, and it ended up being 28 days. Uh, I decided Morgan Spurlock went and ate nothing but McDonald's and gained a lot of weight. Um, I think mostly because he ate way more than he said he was going to. I decided I was going to lose weight on a fast food diet and I did a little research first and I thought, you know, it looks to me if, if I cut back on the sugars and don't eat much of the grains, um, keep the carbohydrate, carbohydrate content on the low side, I'm pretty sure I can uh, I can lose weight doing this. So I ended up losing 12 pounds in 28 days. Mm -hmm. So the only thing actually you were paying attention was more on the carbohydrate side, but you you kept your, I think your calorie count to around 2,000, right? I did. Okay. I, I kept. I, yeah, I kept it around 2,000. I went for higher fat, higher protein, less carbohydrate. Cool. Awesome. And a lot of people, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, I want to uh, know your opinion. They blame the obesity epidemic, or if we have one, we're going to be talking a little bit about this later, on fast food and McDonald's, mm -hmm. right? And you have a little different opinion. Can you share with us what do you think about this blaming fast food and McDonald's? Sure. Uh, McDonald's and fast food were around a lot longer than the rise in diabetes. Uh, well, we call it diabetes. Diabetes and obesity have been around. Um, and yes, they start serving larger portions, etc., etc. People have the, causal the causality backwards. We didn't become fat and diabetic because we eat larger portions. We eat larger portions now because we're becoming fat and diabetic and our appetites are completely out of whack. 
And I don't think it was the fast food industry that did that. I think it had a lot to do with really bad dietary advice, largely coming from our own government. And I've looked up studies in, in areas where there are no fast food restaurants, you know, to speak of. People are just as fat. It's just that they go get their sugar from the grocery store instead of getting it from McDonald's. Uh, if there's a McDonald's around, they'll go get their sugar from McDonald's. But fat people don't become fat because there's fast food available. They eat more fast food if it's available once their appetites go out of whack. Right, right. Yeah, it's a free choice. So if they if they haven't happen to happen uh, uh, McDonald's or any fast food around, they're gonna choose those things, but if they don't have, they're going to find somewhere else to, to, to have those calories. Yeah, and I see, sugars, that. Right? I see that all the time. I'm sure you do too at the grocery store. You know, yeah. sometimes I look in the cart of the person in front of me and I'm horrified. I would rather go eat at McDonald's than eat what some people <laughs> buy at the grocery store. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, the bad habits and the, the craving for the sugars, uh, that, that all comes first. Mm -hmm. Do you still go to McDonald's? I'm just curious. Well, do, you know, do you go I, at all? I, like I really only did that as an experiment for the film. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I maybe because we eat most of our meals at, at home, and I don't know. I, I maybe go to a McDonald's once a month. And what's your biggest critique on this superstar? Because probably 30 minutes of your documentary is kind of like a, a critique on supersize, yeah. right? On yeah. this documentary. Well, What's my, your my biggest, biggest critique of that is that he sets up these rules in the beginning. You know, I'll eat everything on the menu at least once. I'll only supersize if they ask me. But then later in the film, his nutritionist told him, she told him twice, well, you're, you're eating 5,000 calories a day. But they only asked him to supersize nine months, uh, nine times in the entire month. So simple math says if you are only supersizing two meals per week, but you're eating 5,000 calories per day, then you're not eating normal McDonald's meals. If you go in and you order normal McDonald's meals, especially if you're eating everything on the menu at least once, because, you know, salads are on the menu, too. Mm. Uh, if you just go in and, and eat normal McDonald's meals and you only supersize two meals per week, which is what he did, according to his own rules, You don't get to 5,000 calories. You don't get anywhere close to 5,000 calories. So it was obvious to me that he went to McDonald's and then he, he was probably ordering double meals, milkshakes, extra large sodas, etc. He obviously set out to make himself fat. And it wasn't because yeah. he was eating at McDonald's. It's because he decided he was going to stuff himself full of sugars and desserts. Well, you could do that anywhere. You could do that at your favorite vegetarian restaurant. You know, if uh, if you went in saying I'm going to make myself fat, which is clearly what he did. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of counting calories, but if you eating 5,000 calories, probably of any diet, you're going to get some weight, especially if you're not an uh, athlete. Right? Yeah, and especially if it's mostly sugar. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And another thing a lot of people are talking, still talking nowadays, it's about counting calories and exercising more, eating less kind of approach to lose weight. And you call this on the movie, you call bologna, right? right. <laughs> can, you, can you expand a little more on this sure. calorie math you know, that's a Boy, that's a hard one to explain. Um, and I've, I've tried to find simpler and simpler ways to explain it. Uh, here's one of the simple ways I would explain it. Saying that people gain, get fat, because they consume too many calories, because they took in more calories than they expended, is like saying if your toilet overflows, 
it's because more water went into the bowl than drained out. Well, yes, that's true, but that's not really the root of the problem. Uh, when people gain weight, yes, they consume more calories than they burn, but that's not the reason they got fat. Consuming more calories than they burn is the result of biochemical processes that are telling you to get fat. That's, that's a very good analogy. So why do you think, what's the main reason why people are eating more calories you know, it's, nowadays? I, I think it's obviously, um, it's obviously because our metabolisms have become messed up in some way. Now, what is the exact cause of that? I don't think there's one single reason. Yeah, uh, it's a multifactorial problem, I think right? it it's is. I think sugar consumption has an awful lot to do with it because, you know, you're putting all this sugar in your body. It goes to your liver. It makes you insulin resistant. Your body starts pumping out more insulin. Insulin tells you to store fat. And it also has the perverse effect of blocking uh, the signal from leptin. Uh, your, your fat mm -hmm. cells secrete leptin. When your brain sees leptin, it's supposed to say, oh, I'm fat enough. I can stop now. Well, Science is showing that a high level of circulating insulin blocks the leptin signal, so your brain doesn't think you're fat. Your brain thinks you're still starving. So I think sugar has something to do with that. There's some evidence that these nasty industrial oils that are in yeah, so many foods. Yeah, the vegetable oils, right? Yeah, that those vegetable oils, those apparently can induce insulin resistance. Uh, I think refined carbohydrates, simple carbohydrates like refined grains, they can probably induce insulin resistance and mess up, uh, you know, mess up our gut bacteria, which uh, I mm -hmm. think also figures into it. So I wish I could say it's one simple thing, but I'm pretty sure it's yeah. not. But it basically, to me, pretty much all comes down to diet. And it's mostly these modern foods we shouldn't be eating. Cool. What about exercise? On the movie, you say that, you know, we're not exercising, or at least we're not walking as we used to, especially yeah. when you were, you were a kid, you used to walk from the school to back home, right? Back and forth, I think, multiple times a day. And nowadays we have school buses and people don't really move around anymore. What's your take on the exercise and movement? I, I have mixed feelings on that because I, I've Done a, I've looked at enough research to be convinced that if your body is in get fat mode, biochemically you're being driven to store fat, then going out walking and jogging isn't going to make you thin. Um, I do think there's some evidence that if you stay active before you get fat, you're less likely to become insulin resistant in the first place. So I'd say that to me, the simple way to look at it is if you're fat, exercise isn't going to make you, make you thin. Mm -hmm. But if you are not insulin resistant, exercise might help you to avoid becoming insulin resistant, but you still have to maintain a good diet. I mean, a, a bad diet can, can overwhelm the effects of exercise, I think. Mm -hmm. What's your particular philosophy around exercise nowadays? Because I remember you used to walk, I think, three times a week, right? Yeah, like going on yeah I, I, I did that when we lived in a suburb where we had sidewalks and I could easily go out and walk around at night, which is when I like to walk. We live out in farm country now. There's no mm -hmm. sidewalks. If I went out and walked in the dark now, I'd probably step into a hole or onto a snake. So uh, I, I really don't do the long walks like I used to, but I do lift weights once or twice a week. And I get on an exercise cycle now and then, and some days I take kind of a leisurely, get the heart rate up a little bit, right? And other days I get on for a quick hard sprint. 
Yeah, that's uh, pretty similar to my philosophy nowadays. I move around a lot, so I walk a lot, and then I do some resistance training probably twice, mm -hmm. sometimes three three times a week, and I sprint once every seven days, ten days, and pretty much that's it. You don't really need more than that to, to be healthy, right? No, and I don't and, think we should knock ourselves out. You know, these you watch shows like The Biggest Loser. They have people exercising hours and hours a day. That's insane. Mm -hmm. All that's going to do is drive up your stress hormones. And when your stress hormones are elevated, they encourage your body to store fat. It's counterproductive. Yeah. So what's your actually I was on your website early on uh, doing a little research and I saw that you were talking about the biggest loser program. Actually, what's your take on this kind of uh, <laughs> programs and reality shows where, you know, it's a, it seems a little crazy to me. I don't watch all of them, uh, so I can really only comment on The Biggest Loser, and I've, I've only watched a little bit of that one. I think that's a horrible show. Um, <laughs> I, I know it's meant to be entertainment, and I guess if you just watch it as entertainment, as drama, okay. My concern is people watch that show and they think, oh, this is what it takes to lose weight. You have to starve yourself, and you have to exercise for hours a day. And starving yourself is a terrible idea. You're going to raise your stress hormones. You're going to You're going to send your body into panic mode where it's going to think, oh, my God, it's a famine, so I better store every calorie I can. I think starving yourself is a good way to end up fatter than when you started. And then they have people doing these hours and hours of exercise, which, again, just raises your stress hormones. Your body's going to break down. It's going to try to store more fat because when your body's under stress, it tries to store fat to protect itself. I think the biggest loser tells every I think it, it shows people exactly what not to do. Mm -hmm. Plus, it's not sustainable because, I mean, they are in a program, so they have 24 hours, like people are watching them and all. So once they get out on real life, that's over. I think it's like, I don't know the, the stats on that, but I, I'm sure most people, they gain back all the weight. I, right? I actually have seen stats on that. You, most, yeah? most of them gain back the weight. And if we want to know why, well, I've seen a couple studies where they've checked people after they were on that show and their metabolisms were quite a bit slower and not just because they lost weight. If you lose weight, your metabolism is going to slow down a little bit because you have less body mass to support. But the studies showed that these people's metabolisms slowed down beyond what weight loss would predict. So again, it's the, the starving themselves and the constant over-exercising. All it did was convince their bodies, you better slow down your metabolism to survive the next famine. So they're worse off than when they started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And Tom, I think when I talk to people, I say, oh, we have an obesity epidemic worldwide. And when I was watching your documentary, your movie, it made me think a little bit because mm -hmm. you you say we really don't have like a obesity epidemic like we don't go out and see 60% of people super obese right do you don't you think though we have a unhealthy people epidemic yeah and actually that's what i said in fathead the real epidemic is metabolic syndrome i don't think obesity is the problem all by itself i think obesity is a symptom of the real problem which is metabolic syndrome Uh, mm -hmm. metabolic syndrome, when your cholesterol goes out of whack, your blood sugar goes up, you start overproducing insulin. If your blood sugar doesn't eventually get under control, you become a type 2 diabetic. People with metabolic syndrome tend to have high blood pressure, and many of them will gain weight. But the problem is a, fair, a, a lot of people who get metabolic syndrome don't get fat. 
Right. And so and, blaming, and there are people who are fat who do not have metabolic syndrome at all. And some of them are probably going to be, you know, live to be 90 years old. So I don't think it's a good strategy to point to obesity as the problem. Obesity is a symptom of the real problem. And not everybody who has that problem is going to become fat. Hey guys, what's up? Bruno Gama here, Brazilian Health Nuts. And let's take a little break from the show because I would like to offer you something. If you go to my website, www.brazilianhealthnut.com and click on the page, Burn Fat Forever, you can go ahead and claim your free consultation with me right now, okay? Or you can just send me an email at brazilianhealthnut at gmail.com. So you can start to lose weight and feel healthier right now, okay? So go ahead and claim your free consultation with me and remember that spots are limited, okay? Now let's get back to the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that makes me remember of the skinny fat. I think that's one of the right. hardest group to, of people to talk about these problems because they just think about, oh, I am not fat, so I don't have any problems, right? And, I, and there is a lot of those people who are skinny and they have this kind of problems that you just mentioned, the metabolic problems, right? right. So how do you go about talking to these people and explain them? You know, that's a difficult <laughs> one because most people are going to go to their doctors and uh, a lot of doctors are going to look at them and go, okay, you know, you're not overweight, oh, your blood pressure looks good, etc., um, what, what I hope they do is pay attention if they get a cholesterol test, not to the total cholesterol. What I hope people pay attention to are the triglycerides. Um, if you have really high triglycerides, if they're over 150, you probably are starting to develop metabolic syndrome. And in fact, I talked to a guy who's a perfect example of the skinny fat that you just mentioned. A coworker of mine came up and brought me a, a, a copy of his lipid panel Uh, mm -hmm. He is Indian. He's thin. Uh, he eats a lot of rice and doesn't eat much meat, doesn't eat much fat. You wouldn't look at the guy and think there's anything wrong with him because he's very lean. But he showed me his lipid panel. His triglycerides were like 370. Wow. And I told yeah. him, I said, that's a huge problem. That is a huge, huge problem. And you have to deal with that. No one would look at him and think, oh, there's a guy with metabolic syndrome. But he clearly has it. Yes. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And that takes us to the BMI problem, right? The body mass index. Right. Do you think it, it's right to determine people, oh, you're obese because you're no. uh, over 29.9? I don't know. The no, scale no. there, no. right? I think There's that, a big problem there. I think that's a huge mistake. The guy that I just mentioned, the coworker, like I said, skinny guy, uh, his mm -hmm. BMI is probably 21, 22, something like that. There are an awful lot of people out there whose BMI is going to put them in the overweight category and maybe in the obese category because they have muscles. Uh, yeah, you were, you were obese, right? According to the BMI, you were obese. Well, there, I didn't, my BMI wasn't. Overweight. Yeah, overweight. I was, my BMI said overweight. The reason I was classified as obese, there's two ways to, to classify someone as obese. One is a BMI of over 30. The other is body fat over 30. And according to my doctor, my body fat at the time was just over 30. Um, but the BMI is, and, and if you know what, I would rather they measure body fat than BMI because I, I remember guys in high school that I'm sure had a BMI of over 30, uh, you know, guys who were on the football team, big, muscular, yeah. lean, mean fighting machines. 
Uh, I mean, look, it's uh, practically any quarterback in the NFL these days is going to have a BMI that says he's either overweight or obese. Uh, We should not punish people if they decide to go lift weights and they put on 10 or 15 pounds of muscle to say, oh, your BMI is up. Now you're unhealthy. That's just insane. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And the other thing is, and this is one of those things that they don't like to talk about because, you know, they're telling everybody they need to get their weight down. Well, and, and I'm not saying anyone should go out and get fat, but if you just look at the uh, the observational studies on BMI and longevity, people who are overweight and even people who are obese, according to the, the BMI scale, they have longer lifespans than people who are underweight. In fact, the mm-hmm. overweight people have longer lifespans than people who are classified as normal weight. Yeah, I was going to say this right now here because I have this in front of me. People who have higher BMI live longer than the normal one. Right. Cool, awesome. Right. Thank you so much for that. So let's get into a little more about the practical stuff here. And let's talk about saturated fat will clog your arteries. I still I was in a barbecue here in Brazil yesterday and we are having meat, of course. It's a barbecue, right? And yeah. then we are talking a little bit about fat and like, oh my, it's crazy how... People are still afraid of fat because they think, oh, it's going to clog my artery. Or they say something else, but that's really what they think, right? Yeah. And so can, can you explain a little bit, give a little bit of a background, ancient keys? I think it's also sure. uh, nice to mention, right? Sure, sure. And I was delighted to find this out because one of my uh, favorite restaurants here in Nashville is one of those Brazilian steakhouses where they just, yeah. they just come up and they keep slicing off the meat until you say stop. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they keep ringing, right? They never stop unless you, you, know, you flip the... Yeah, yeah, so you have to put the red, uh-huh. flip that thing over so the red says I'm stuffed. Um, <laughs> if you really think about it, and and this is one of those... It's, here's part of the irony of this. One of my first jobs, my, my in fact, my very first job when I got out of college, I was a writer for a small health magazine, and this was during the anti-fat craze. And so, you know, I was writing articles like everyone else, cut your saturated fat, don't eat so much fat. And years later, when I made Fathead and found out how wrong that was, you know, it occurred to me, why did anybody ever think that was correct? Because why would the food that we have been eating forever Mm -hmm. cause modern diseases like heart disease and cancer? And those are modern diseases. You see almost no heart disease, almost no cancer in hunter-gatherer societies. It was even pretty rare in America back when people ate more meat uh, and were on higher fat diets and didn't worry about eating saturated fat or not. We blamed the food we've been eating forever for modern diseases. We should have been blaming the modern foods like Mm. sugar, like refined flour. And the more I dug into the evidence, the more I thought, I can't believe that we ever believed this. Uh, They... Now, there is there's one caveat to that. There is evidence that if you are on a high sugar diet, the sugar will make the saturated fat dangerous. Mm-hmm. So if what a, go, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So what about the difference between organic like grass fed, saturated fat meat? Yeah, right. Yeah. And the conventional one. Do you still what what's your take on that? Because I'm all about having grass fed, but sometimes people don't have access. And I think it's still better having those, the, the meat, the regular, the conventional yeah, meat, right. than refined carbohydrates yeah, and yeah. sugar and vegetable oils. I, I feel exactly the same way about it. You know what? Grass fed meat, it's got more, 
omega-3 fats in it, which is the kind mm. of fat that, that's in fish oil, and that is probably beneficial. So if we're looking at it strictly from a health perspective, I believe grass-fed meat is probably better than traditionally raised meat. But I, that doesn't make traditionally raised meat bad to me. It just means it's not as good for you. I still don't think it's bad for you. It's just not as good for you. And the thing with grass-fed beef is it's expensive. And yeah. I, I try to avoid making dietary recommendations to people that I think they won't follow just because it's too expensive. Um, I think if we could get everybody to do three things, stop eating sugar, stop eating refined grains, stop eating those horrible industrial vegetable oils, I think an awful lot of our health problems would go away. Okay. And then for people who have done that, if they want to try to clean up their diet and improve a little more by going organic, going grass fed, that's all great. Go ahead. But let's not make perfect the enemy of good. Yeah, especially here in Brazil, if you're saying that in the USA is uh, expensive already, you should see here. <laughs> the organic here, it's crazy, more, way more expensive than in the USA. Yeah, it's, sorry it's, to hear that. It's, it's hard, yeah, it's hardly impossible to buy organic, especially meat, it's, I, and there is not many also available. Well, cool. And who, who's Ancho Keys? Can you talk a, bit, a little bit about this guy? Sure, Ancho Keys, um, he's the one that really got the whole anti-fat, anti-cholesterol movement off the ground in America. He, he was not the first person to come up with it. Other people had promoted low-fat diets before. Other people had promoted the idea that cholesterol might cause heart disease before. But he was a very headstrong individual. And almost through sheer force of will, he managed to convince an awful lot of people that it was fat and cholesterol that caused heart disease, partly by producing studies, which were frankly, not very good studies. But uh, like I said, he was a very headstrong guy. Mm -hmm. He ended up on the board of the American Heart Association, which I think was a tragic mistake for the world, because before he joined the board, the American Heart Association, like a lot of other uh, health organizations, did not accept the idea that there was anything wrong with saturated fat. Then he kind of took over the board and suddenly the American Heart Association became the anti-fat, anti-cholesterol organization. And that led to ridiculous situations like them putting their stamp of approval on sugary foods because they didn't have fat in them. Yeah. Follow the money. There is a, right, a lot right, of... Right. Uh, During the, your documentary, for people who haven't watched it, you guys have to watch. It's really entertaining and educational at the same time. And follow the money is one of the biggest takeaways. Right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. What about? So let's talk about cholesterol. What should we should we worry about the cholesterol levels? You, you mentioned before about HDL. There is LDL. I just actually last week I got my results here in Brazil about my total cholesterol and HDL as well. So I was like looking to to get some answers on the internet from people who I trust. So what's your take on th this topic? Huge topic, right? I, I, cholesterol matters, but not in the way people think it matters. You know, mm -hmm. you hear people say you have too much cholesterol. That's like saying you have too many cells in your body. <laughs> well, yes. wouldn't it matter if they were brain cells or muscle cells or cancer cells? Cholesterol is not in and of itself a bad guy. Cholesterol is absolutely crucial for life. Uh, you would be dead if you had no cholesterol. It's used in all kinds of bi biochemical processes. The problem for some people is that their body starts making the wrong type of cholesterol. And it's not as simple as HDL is good and LDL is bad. 
HDL mm-hmm. is good, by the way, but LDL, it depends. It depends on if it's large, fluffy LDL or if it's small, dense LDL. Uh, now, frankly, if you're producing an absolute ton of fluffy, large LDL, that's probably a problem too. But what you really need to know is, is are you producing the kind of cholesterol that can get stuck in your arteries or aren't you? It's entirely possible to have high cholesterol high total cholesterol, and even high LDL, but it's mostly the big fluffy stuff and your arteries are fine. It's also possible to have fairly low cholesterol, but the cholesterol you're making, the LDL you're making, is small dense stuff that gets stuck in your arteries and causes plaque. So people get too freaked out over total cholesterol when it really should be about what kind of LDL are you making. Yes, yeah, I don't know how this always started. I mean, there are some things in the our society that just started and then people start to believe it's crazy like i don't know how this happened which takes me to the next question which is how the hell is the base of our food pyramid composed by grains that's something <laughs> that i'm really curious about oh that uh, like well wow well, I'll, i'll try to give you the the brief version of the story um <laughs> first off one thing people need to understand the usda which writes uh our dietary recommendations, their job is not to make you healthy. Their job is to sell farm products. Their job is to sell what American farmers grow. And they grow an awful lot of corn and wheat. In fact, we subsidize those crops to the point where we grow way, way, way more of the stuff than we would naturally buy and consume. So the first thing to understand is that the USDA's job is to sell grains. When they were given the responsibility of writing the food guidelines, not surprisingly, they recommended we consume a lot of grains because it's their job to sell grains. Part of what drove that, and I found this out after I made Fathead, is that around the same time, our government wanted to massively expand the food stamp program, and grains are the cheapest foods because they're subsidized. So, because they didn't want to admit, basically that um, you can't eat a healthy diet on food stamps. They just basically declared wheat, which is easily affordable, to be health food. That Mm -hmm. way they can say that they are subsidizing uh, a healthy Healthy diet. So they, they fixed the problem by just deciding wheat is health food. Yeah, do you think this is ever gonna change, at least from the government part? Do you think they're gonna... No, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. And and people occasionally approach me, you know, to join this organization or that organization that wants to get the USDA to change its advice. And I always politely turn them down and I say, look, there's two things. One, they're never going to change their advice. Their job is to sell grains. And yeah. second, I don't want to change the USDA's advice. I want to convince the world to stop listening to them. Right. Yeah, it makes more sense. And I think it's easier to. <laughs> cool. So uh, what did you do actually after doing the experiment, the 28 days, the 30 days of eating at McDonald's, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us what did you do and the results? You know, I've, I've kind of done a series of dietary experiments because I became so fascinated with this. It really was not until I made Fathead that... Um, You know, I I found out that this whole idea that fat drives up your cholesterol, saturated fat drives up your cholesterol and gives you heart disease. 
that was really eye opening for me to find out that that's not true and that there was no evidence to back it up. And one of the people I interviewed in the film, Dr. Mike Eads, told me, and this was after we were done with the interview, he said, you can prove this to yourself. Go out and eat all the saturated fat you want, but just don't eat any sugars, don't eat any grains, keep your carbohydrates low. You get a lipid test before and after. So I did. And after eating all that saturated fat and bacon and sausage and cheese and butter on everything, but no sugars, no grains and very little carbohydrate, my cholesterol profile improved. It improved a lot. He was right. Um, so that was really eye opening to me. And I've, I've since done other experiments with, you know, should I have more carbs? Should I have fewer carbs? Mm-hmm. Does it make a difference if the carbs come from sugars and grains versus squash and potatoes? Right. Things like that. How long ago was the movie? Did the movie came out? Uh, 2009. 2009. Yeah, okay. six years so ago. Seven years ago. Six, seven years ago. Yeah. So throughout these seven years, like you just said, you you experiment a little bit, right, with different guidelines. But what have you learned during these seven years now? Did you change a lot or are you still just pretty much consuming a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet? No, my my views definitely uh, adjusted because when I first finished Fathead, I was just all about, okay, cut the carbs. The carbs, The carbs are the problem, cut the carbs. Um, and at, and at the time, because I was focused on if it's low carb, it's good. If it's high carb, it's bad. I was eating what I now consider a fair number of low carb junk foods, you know, low carb Mm -hmm. candy bars, low carb pancakes, low carb, this low carb, that, well, you know, I, I, I began to realize as I kept researching, a lot of that stuff was junk. It was, it was, it was still highly processed junk food. They just took the carbohydrates out. Um, so one of the first adjustments I made was getting back to real food, unprocessed food. And then the next adjustment was I started realizing, you know what, just, just like we can't say all calories are the same, we can't say all carbs are the same. So I put more carbs back into my diet. Not a lot, because if I start putting a lot of carbs in my diet, no matter where they come from, I start gaining weight again. But I did put back more squash, more potatoes. Uh, I don't eat a lot of safe starch. Yeah, safe starch. Uh, I stay away from rice. I know a lot of people consider rice a safe starch, but I've tested. And if I eat white rice, my blood sugar just goes through the roof. Um, But squash and sweet potatoes, I'm fine with those. So I eat more of those. Not a lot, but I eat more of those. So that that was one of the big adjustments. I'd say it was really those, those those two things. First, I went toward real food, and then I went back toward, you know what, it's okay to have more carbs. You just have to be make sure they're real food, whole, whole food carbs. Yeah, and that they work for you, like you just said. Right. For you, it works better. That's right. I squash. That's right. Yeah, awesome. And we live on Very a farm now, so I, you know, we eat mm-hmm. a, lot of, uh, a lot of whole, fresh, unprocessed food because my wife grows a lot of it herself. Yeah, very good to hear that, man, actually. Awesome. So my last question here for you, how can we go about fighting this, not obesity epidemic, because we just talked about this, I don't think, I also agree with you, I don't think we have an obesity epidemic, but we have an unhealthy metabolic syndrome epidemic, right? right? So how can we start to fight this, since government seems that it's not going to be the start, right? No, government won't be the start, and... Um I gave a speech a year or two ago about um, the phenomenon. Then I got this from a book called The Wisdom of Crowds. 
In today's era, we are lucky enough that information comes from everywhere. It used to be a strictly top-down thing. It came from the government. It went to places like the American Heart Association and the AMA. It went through a few magazines and newspapers, and then it came to us. All the information flowed down to us from a few sources on high. Now we have the Internet. We have blogs. We have independent films like mine. We have podcasts. Information is everywhere, and now the information is coming from the crowd, which is where it has to come from. So the way we can bring about the change is the way we're already doing it. It's the way you're doing it. You have a podcast show. I have a blog. I know people who are making films in addition to mine. The information, when the information flows and flows and flows, the good ideas do bubble to the top. And that's what I see happening now. And people are always saying, what can I do? What can I do? Uh, I'm not a blogger. I don't want to start a blog. I say, you don't have to start a blog. You can, you can join Facebook groups. You can comment. You can share your own knowledge. You can go to other blogs. You can support the people who write blogs. You can buy the films that you agree with. It is going to be this crowd action that is going to turn it around. It's not going to come from government. It's going to come from people like you. It's going to come from people like me, and it's going to come from the people who do things like read my blog and listen to your show. Yeah, totally agree. And we can, and if they don't want to support us, they just can vote with their dollars exactly. as well. I mean, exactly. Right? Well, and you know what? I see that. I, I, I see that. This wisdom of crowds thing is kicking in. My wife and I have noticed this. We go to the grocery store, and it's not a fancy pants Whole Foods grocery store. It's a Kroger. You know what? They are selling more and more foods that have fewer and fewer ingredients. They have a whole brand now called Simple Truth, where it is really simple foods. You read the ingredients. You don't need a chemistry degree to understand what's in it. The, the food producers will respond to what we want. So as yes. you and I and everyone else do our part to convince people that they want whole, unprocessed, healthy foods, then that's what will be produced because they can only produce what we're, they can only produce, will only produce what we're willing to buy. Yeah, it's the law of the demand. Yep. Like there is actually one guy talking on the documentary about that. That guy was really smart. Awesome. Tom, so where can people find you? And so what's next for you now after the fat head? I know you have a busy blog going on. So tell sure. us. Uh, First off, they can find us at the blog Fathead, that's one word, fathead-movie.com. And what's next is my wife and I are rounding the bend toward finishing a, a book that we are producing together to explain these ideas, all the stuff you and I have been talking about, to kids in a fun and amusing way. And then as soon as the book's done, we're going to make a uh, like an animated, cartoony, fun version of it. Oh, man, that's great. The kids, I think, yeah, that's another place to start for sure. And that's why we're doing it. We got to get we got to yeah. get to the kids before the damage is done. Yeah, so true. Man, thank you so much for being here with me today. I super appreciate your time. Talk to you soon, man. My pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Brazilian Health Nut Show. Go to www.brazilianhealthnut.com for much more information about how to burn fat for the rest of your life. Hasta luego.